is happening. We come to our text in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. And the Bible says this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now the Apostle Paul is writing this to his young protege Timothy. And we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all from God. These are the words of God. And if God says in the Bible that something is going to come, it's going to come. And we are living in perilous times. These last days. Now, the last days, there's, a, there's a, a really a little debate of exactly when the last days start. Some think that it's the time of Paul's writing up until the second coming of Christ. Some think it's from Jesus Christ's resurrection all the way to the second coming of Christ. Either way, we're living in the last days. And it's interesting, it says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, I need you to hang with me for just one second. I want to show you something about this word perilous, the actual Greek word for perilous, because it's very interesting. The Greek word is only used twice in the New Testament. Here, it's translated perilous. And if you would have the time, I think Brother Bryce has it for me on the screen, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28 is the other instance. And I want you to see this because this kind of just was a wow moment for me. When he had come to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes, there met with him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. Now watch this. Exceedingly fierce. That word fierce is the only other instance in the New Testament of this Greek word being used. Do you think it's ironic that this word is used of two men possessed by demons and fiercely standing so no one would pass? If you take the meaning of these words, know this in the last day, Fierce, demonic times will come. Please hear me out. We are not battling flesh and blood. We are battling principalities, spiritual dark forces, high forces. And it is a spiritual battle. Politically, what is happening is not politics. It's a spiritual battle. Because these are perilous, fierce times. Now, as we study this, we have to understand this prophecy is pertinent because we're living in this day. And he goes on to give us a description of the way the world is Today, in the last days. Why would I bring this message? Because toward the end, you're going to find out how we as believers, biblically, should be standing in these last days. What we should be doing, what we should be exerting our effort, our energy on. So let's look at this description of the way of the world. Notice in verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. It's interesting that if we were able to 
make a broad paintbrush and summarize all of these little characteristics into like three or four different ones. The first thing I would say is that men will be loving, listen, only themselves. That's an actual rendering of the text. Not just self-centered because there's been self-centered people in every dispensation of time. But what he is saying is they will only be lovers of themselves. The characteristic of the world is the world will love only itself. Isn't it interesting that today if you oppose someone, whether they be in the media or something like that, and they stand in opposition to the word of God, they call you an enemy. Do you know that there are people who say, because you are a conservative evangelical Christian, that you are a terrorist and you should be on the terrorist watch list? You think I'm making this up. Do you remember back uh, when Obama was president when they targeted, the IRS targeted Christians and churches? If you don't love them and what they love, they retaliate against you and they make you the enemy. This is why they are lovers only of themselves. They cry and say, we should be tolerant. When they say tolerant, when you hear anyone say tolerant, what they are saying is you drop your opinions, your standards, and your conviction and go to their side. That's what tolerance means. Tolerance does not mean that they're going to give you respect as you give them respect. That's not what it means. They're lovers of only themselves, lovers of money. It always amazes me. We can, in the United States of America, and especially here in uh, Ohio, in this last election, there was one doctor in Dayton behind the abortion bill who funded it himself, the majority of it, and raised money of it. He was the pusher behind it because he's the only one in the state of Ohio that would do abortions on demand. So he would get all that money. Now the Bible teaches us that there is nothing wrong. A lot of people say money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. Money is amoral. It's neither bad nor good. It's how you use it. But the Bible says it is the love of money that is the roots of all sorts of evil. And this text says that in the last day, that would be characteristic. We, uh, in the state of Ohio, because evangelical Christians did not go out and vote, we lost two major elections. We lost pot, legalization of marijuana, and we lost the abortion. And here's the sad thing. They say that you're allowed to grow and have in your possession two ounces. I have no idea how much two ounces of pot is. But someone was telling me that was a former pot smoker, two ounces is a lot of pot. I came out of Tractor Supply one day, and all I could smell was marijuana. And I thought, great, we're going to be like California. All you smell is marijuana when you're outside. Now, some of you will be walking through town going... Like that, but I wouldn't recommend that. But what was the motivator behind it? Well, 
if, the gov- if we do this, the government can regulate it and they can get what? Money, tax money for it. Behind all of these evil practices, the love of money is the root of the evil. What would make people come from the uh, Detroit through Columbus down through Portsmouth into Huntington to sell high-powered drugs? Money. It's a characteristic of these times. They would be boasters. Boasters. Proud. Those were coupled next side by side because, listen, in this sense, proud is not a good thing. You say, I'm proud of my son, he's doing this, or I'm proud of you, you're serving the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. When he talks about pride in this verse, he's talking about a puffed up image of yourself. He's talking about all of the the, the marches in which they promote pride And we know that the Bible teaches that pride is a sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about the sin of Sodom. Sodom, excuse me, what everybody thinks was sodomy, it wasn't. It was pride. It was at the heart. That's what the New Testament says of Sodom. All those other things they did was a result of their pride. Blasphemers, literally scorners of God, to speak evil of God. Blatantly, men and women blaspheme God. A few years ago, there was a social media phenomenon where it caught on with young kids, and they were trying to get young uh, teenage kids online to publicly denounce God and record yourself and post it on social media. These are the days that we're living in. This is the way of the world. And you and I gather here around the Word of God in reverence to God and love and honor to God and worship to God and they look at us as an enemy to the United States of America. Disobedient to parents. If I talk to my dad or my mother the way some of these kids in Walmart talk to their parents, I was in, uh, and I don't want to get off too off on this or be too critical or judgmental, I was in the doctor's office, the eye doctor, and across the hall from me was a woman, and she had a girl who was about seven or eight years old, and she said, come on, it's time to go, and she wouldn't leave. And the doctor's sitting there watching this in the room. And she said, come on, I said, and she wouldn't leave. She just didn't listen to anything. She said, come on, come on. She said, finally, I said, well, I'm just leaving. And she walked out and left the kid in there with the doctor. <laughs> I would have no more told my mother that. And finally, the mother got her, and she was kicking and screaming, going out through there. And I remember one time I was standing on the steps, and my mother was above, and she was sweeping. And I don't even remember what I said, but I know it was very disrespectful and rude. And I, it was wrong, and I remember looking up, and that broom came around through there. 
And, uh, and you have to understand, my mother was probably the most long-suffering woman I ever knew. But this is the characteristic today. Dr. Harris told us when we were newborn, well, we had, Kendall was our newborn baby, and Dr. Harris was a, uh, her pediatrician. He was a godly man. And he said, listen, I want to tell you, he's telling us all this, you know, if you have a, a, a temperatures 101.5 and all this, do you do this, do that, you know, and we're sitting here taking it all in. We're scared to death to go home with this baby. And um, he says, but I want to tell you, the greatest thing you can do is you can teach your children to fear and respect you because if they don't fear and respect you, they won't respect any authority. They won't respect the teacher. They won't respect the police officer. They won't respect anyone. This is the day we live, unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. The King James says, without natural affection. Many people think that that means um, homosexual. I can't say that it doesn't, but in all my studies, this literally means without the natural love, without caring about anybody. You just don't care about anybody. You have no, you just could care less. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. Do you know that someone slander, someone can accuse you of something that's not true, and you are guilty until proven innocent? They can go on television and make any kind of false claim about any politician and then when it's proven factually that it's not right, oh well, it's just news. Whether you like Donald Trump or not, what they have done to this man is criminal. And this is the kind of people that the Bible says the world will be in the last days. Without self-control. Brutal. Brutal. That word brutal actually means cruel. In New York City, there's videos of young men attacking an old man or an old woman. Walking down the street, just literally walks up and punches them, knocks them down. Cruel. Despisers. Of good. Traitors. That word traitors means betraying their friends. Headstrong. It means reckless. Haughty. It means uh, puffed up thinking you're better than everyone else. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then notice this, this one here in verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, they will be religious but lost. Religious but lost. This is the way the world is today. I don't have to labor the fact. You, you know it. You see it. So, what do we do? Let me go to verse 6 here and show you some of the methods that they use in the last days. Look at verse 6. For this sort are those who creep into households and make captives 
of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. They're predators. They prey on the weak. They prey on the weak women. They're always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Not only are they predators, but they act like they are scholars. That they're highly intelligent. Verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. We must be careful that we do not allow these type of individuals to infiltrate our church. Because they will deceptively come in so that they can resist the truth. But when you and I think of resisting the truth, we think of someone just flat out, oh, that's not true. No, they're more subtle than that. Just as the serpent was subtle and deceived Eve, notice what the next phrase is. Men of corrupt minds and counterfeit faith. Corrupt minds, counterfeit faith. This is the way the world is. Now, how do we navigate through these last days? How do we stand in this prophecy that is literally unfolding right before our eyes? How do we keep from getting pulled into it? How do we maintain our testimony, and remain faithful in these last days. Well, first of all, notice what he says back up in verse 5. The first thing we should do, last sentence, verse 5, and from such people turn away. The first thing we should do is we should know the characteristics do not match with Christ. And from those people, we should turn away. Well, you say, well, shouldn't we, shouldn't we witness to the lost? There's a difference in witnessing with the lost and going along with the lost. A big difference. Do you know the Bible says in two different places, resist the devil? And then the other passage says, resist the devil and he shall flee. He will flee from you. We turn away from these people. We don't match wits with them. We don't argue with them. We turn away. Why? Because they're always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. In other words, their arguments are not for truth's sake. Their argument is to distract you. Distract you. So... The first thing we do is we turn away. Notice the second thing we do. Look in verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, 
And out of them all the Lord delivered me. The second thing Paul tells Timothy to do is grow into a mature Christian. How do you get that? Well, he says, you know and you have carefully followed my doctrine, my teaching, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my, my perseverance, my love, my persecution, my affliction. What Paul is telling Timothy is this. Listen, the only way you can endure these things is if you are a mature Christian. And we need in our churches to return back to training men and women to be faithful, mature Christians. We don't need entertainment. Entertainment will not help us. We need maturity. So I am turning away from him, those kind of people. I am growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. I am growing into a mature Christian. Look at verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live. The third thing he tells us to do is this. He says that you must endure persecution. We need to toughen up, church. We need to toughen up. We need to quit being offended so easily by non-essential stuff. We need to be quit being so offended by every person that comes along and criticizes us. And we need to get our eyes on Jesus Christ and get a backbone and stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. We can stand in every area of our life. We can defend our sports figures. We can defend our hobbies. We can defend everything. But why can't we defend Christ? Why can't we remain faithful in, in the face of persecution? It's going to come, he says, yea, and all who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. It's going to come. Oftentimes when persecution comes, people quit. They just give up and quit. Notice in verse 13, But evil men and apostles will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This should rule out the notion that we're going to have, in this dispensation, we will ever have heaven on earth. It's going to grow, first of all, imposters and evil men will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to ratchet up the nearer we get to the end. And there is a plethora of it going on today. But look at verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them. And that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The fourth thing we should do is we should remain faithful to the Word of God. Faithful to the Word of God. It's amazing to me how often I read or hear of someone who was once faithful to the Word of God who has fallen and fallen hard. I am amazed the people who do things that the Scripture says 
we should never do or never even approve of, and they're doing them in church with a full endorsement. I like what one old preacher said. There's a young preacher, and he's preaching. He said, God's Word says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And the wise older fellow said, Son, God's Word says it, that settles it. I don't care if you believe it or not. And that is the truth. There's one thing that will never let you down. And that's this book right here. God's Holy Word. We teach those kids over there to hide God's Word in their heart that they might not sin against God. We teach them that it is a lamp and a light. We teach them to love it, to obey it, to read it. We must remain faithful to the Word of God. And then I, I will close with this. In these last days, what do we do? Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The last thing I would tell you is this. We must be equipped by the Word of God. Notice, for every good work. Why do I say that? Because we don't just learn about the Bible to know Bible facts. We learn about the Bible so that we're equipped for every good work. There's an assumption made by the Scripture that what we learn from here comes in here and it comes out here. That is paramount. The church I grew up in, and I'm blessed. I mean, it wasn't perfect. But the church I grew up in, we were always doing something. It was an active church. They were always serving somewhere, somehow, some way. They were serving people with the, the, the whole intent of introducing men and women, boys and girls, to Jesus Christ. We, they had basketball leagues. They had, we had church camps and we had uh, Halloween things where they had out in the field, they had a, like a scary thing and you went through and scared the dickens out of you. I don't know if I'm going to say that. I don't know what a dickens is, but I hope it ain't bad. Uh, but I remember that. And church, listen, we don't need less church and less service and less worship. We need more. We need more. COVID took a segment of people out of churches and out of, you know, Sunday nights. Arwana still, we're recovering. But we, that suffered the most in our church was the children's ministry of Awana. And, and we're finding out now that there's more to this than we knew. That we can't get the truth. And all I'm saying is, we are the church. And we are here 
for such a time as this. We can lament about how bad this is, but every dispensation has had horrible things to go through. And God brought you here for this time, knowing that you would be here in the last days. And He has given you His Son, He's given you His Holy Spirit, and we have everything we need. The question is, will we use what He's given us? It's not on the world, it's on us. And I love America. I serve my country. I would do it again. I love the United States of America. I'm not putting a butt. I love the United States of America. America is not the end. Jesus is. He's the beginning and he's the end. His kingdom is what matters. We fight all that we can to save our values now, today. But we know in these last days, it's going to grow progressively worse and worse and worse. And then Christ comes. These last days are serious times. Let's turn away from them. Let's understand that we're going to suffer persecution. Let's stand with the Word of God. And let's take the Word of God and the standing on it and be equipped for every good work to serve our Lord and Savior. That's how we are successful in these last days. If we do that, we have nothing to worry about. Father, Lord, we love you.